welcome to episode 242 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with Lydia Creech and Miranda Barnwell. In today's episode, we will be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one and in part two. We will be continuing our truth and fiction in the South series with 1975's Nashville and 1976's Heartworn Highways. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into some movies that we saw this week. After a quick note about stuff on Cinematary.com, we have new reviews of Starfish, the new film by A.T. White. Uh, Andrew had a review of that. And we also have a rundown of Pet Cemetery, which I... Um, and probably a lot of people on this podcast call Pet Cemetery um, because <laughs> yeah. we just it's just stuck in our heads. Um, Can't help it. But we have a, a Diana Rogers wrote about Pet Cemetery, and that's the uh, the hot new movie for the week. So check that out on the site. We also have uh, you know the schedule up for the rest of our Southern series. So yeah, check out Cinematary.com. We have fun stuff on there. Let's go ahead and jump into movies that we saw this week. Um, I guess I'll kick us off. I gotta. <laughs> Uh, superhero movies make me tired. Um, like, I don't, it's not even bad. It's just tired. Um, the new one is called Shazam. <laughs> the new one. The new one of these. The new one is called Shazam. The new one. The newest. <laughs> uh, it's directed by David F. Sandberg um, and stars Zachary Levi. I mean, this 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 guy. It's. I don't really know what to like how to describe this superhero you know like spider-man's like he's got like the power of spiders and aquaman swims and talks to fishes this guy is kind of like uh if superman like it's just if superman could like switch in between being superman and being like a 15 year old kid what a great disguise but is this a dc or a marvel film i don't know anything this is a this is a DC film. This is uh, this is for you uh, DC people. This is uh, in that wheelhouse. Um, it's I, I've seen I've seen people describe it kind of as like big meets the superhero movies because that's pretty much what it is. So the gist of the story is you have this uh, teenager who named named Billy Batson, which a plus uh, superhero name great comic book name he uh he has just joined a group home he's he's been kind of on the on the run between different homes over the course of his life so far this this latest group home though uh has him uh you know kind of on the kind of on edge just kind of ready to uh to move on to the next one but before that can happen he has this uh run-in with this mystical um I don't know mystical bullshit that uh, gives that gives him the powers again of like Superman. If I don't know, really, it's exhausting to kind of explain like what how he gets these powers. <laughs> let me uh, let me just say about Shazam that I I think honestly gets to the core of and is like the best representation of a superhero movie that's ever been put on screen. Let me and I'll just say that. Um, so he gets these Superman powers pretty much like he can run really fast. He can, you know, punch really hard. He can fly. He can do all this great stuff. Um, and the, immediately what he does is, is, is acts like a dick about it. Not only does he, not only is he rude to everybody, but he also goes, I have superpowers. I'm just going to use this. Like, why should I go to school and do all this stuff? I'll just use this to make money, which I feel like is the, like, really understands what superhero is like like think about it if you were if you were given these powers in like real life you you probably wouldn't like go and be like oh i'm gonna like work out this plan and become like a, a hero to the people no you would like go and do tricks and do crazy stuff and make money off of it and that's exactly what he does and honestly if that's just the path that this movie took and then it ended i'd be like that's on i this this is probably the best repres this is the best representation of, super, of being a superhero I've ever seen on screen. But it's a family film, so of course he has to learn a lesson. 
um, unfortunately. <laughs> you sound so disgusted. <laughs> yeah, because I was just like, you know, he if 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 you know the superhero genre is just this you know capitalistic wheel that's turning. What better way to represent what this is than somebody getting superpowers, not using it to save anything, and using it instead to earn notoriety and make a, you know some extra money. I mean, he's he's walking around Philadelphia taking selfies with people and then asking them for money for the selfie, like straight up smart kid <laughs> like i had so much respect for that um but yeah and then but then there you know he then we had a we had a we had to figure out a lesson is it like a funny movie like does the movie realize it's weird i don't on the scale of like chaos neutral um and good this is like the chaotic good for let me let me back it up. So, like, you know how Deadpool is is very self reflective, and it's 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 very much working within the realm that it understands that superheroes exist, and everybody understands that superheroes exist. Shazam is like that, but if you, it's it's a less obnoxious Deadpool. It's like the chaotic good. If Deadpool is <laughs> ca- is is like the pure chaos, this is on the other side of the spectrum. It's still working in the same vein of the the people in the world, you know, who are mostly normal are aware of superheroes. But this one has also a, a person who has these superpowers who are aware of like what superpowers mean in that in that sense um so it's kind of like that the other thing that's interesting about this movie kind of you know piggybacking on the whole him using this to make money thing is this is also a movie that i saw so this this is in taking place in the realm of the dc movies and so like batman exists and superman exists etc etc and I mean, I don't know. Maybe I haven't seen. Actually, I take that back. I have seen this in Marvel movies, but you see people with like Batman and Superman, like backpacks and memorabilia and T-shirts, and there's something weird about that. It's just like it's it's all like like you know, kind of com- collapsing in on itself and becoming like this black you know this this like black star that just like completely combusts because it's just like. Yeah, it's just this just like is Batman selling his own merchandise? <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Like I'm just like is like when he's not saving Gotham City, he's just like Because Bruce Banner Banner already no, Bruce Wayne already has enough money. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, because it's just like who's buying this? Because it's not like an off brand like you know, it's not like somebody who was a fan of Batman who like designed like it's the logo that you would see for Batman. <laughs> On the yeah, like like it was it's like the DC <laughs> copyrighted logo. And so does, so what you're saying is that there's a corporation behind these superheroes that's merchandising their likeness. So then where did they come from? There was a lot of there was a lot of of the structure of the capitalistic system of Shazam and the DC universe that I was very interested in. Not sure if anybody else was working on this wavelength with this movie. Um, it's very violent. People get thrown out of buildings and get eaten by ghouls. It's also people were comparing it to big. It also is working on like this original Ghostbusters level because you have these so like pervy. No, you have like the. Do you remember like the the like demon dog thing from the original Ghostbusters? That's like chasing them no. around New York City. Well, that thing like spout like sprouted six other demon dogs from the original ghostbusters and that's the bad guy for this movie which i thought was a strange choice um you're making it sound like kind of fun to watch but i don't think it was based on how tired no it's not like it's not bad i would like i would watch this again it's fine it's it's just not really you know it's 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 okay it's just it's it doesn't do anything that's just like oh this is really exciting that i just re- really am re-energized to uh, explore these movies if anything i just want to explore why the likeness of these <laughs> the superheroes economy. yeah i want to understand the economy like is there a business behind like selling of merchandise it's not like bootleg stuff it's the actual copyrighted logo of superman 
like that's just that, that like really that was just like I was I got stuck on that for a good 25 minutes in the movie because a lot of the plot and the like in the chemistry between Billy and the one of the other uh, group home kids who's like obsessed with superheroes is his is this other kid's vast knowledge of like what it means to be a superhero and the all of the powers that it entails and the different powers that the different superheroes that this world has uh, like his knowledge of that he has like you know Batman like there's a they, like they go to a toy store and they're there's Batman toys that look like Batman. I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's just, it's, it's just. Th- so you're, what you're telling me is there's a corporation that's just like we're in charge of of merchandising these superheroes that are supposed to be like these vigilantes who are getting, you know, who are talking in front of the U.S. Senate in one of the movies. Like it makes it. I'm confused. Is it like that's a? It. Uh, I don't know, unbreakable sort of thing, I guess. Like, comic books exist, and they're also real superheroes. I don't know. That's probably not a level this is operating at. No, it's like comic... Like, if anything, Shazam... They're Batman comics is what I'm asking. Shazam... (laughs) I guess what, what it's saying is, like, Shazam operates in a world where there would be a like also a shazam movie but it would be like based on the real hero like i could see that happening in this universe because clearly somebody is profiting off of these superheroes without because i doubt that like wonder woman is is you know filing patents to you know preserve her ip (laughs) because she's like dealing with stuff so i'm just interested in the economy of of being a superhero in this universe shazam it's in theaters now (laughs) anyway um miranda you and lydia you all are going to a very exciting thing that you're going to give a little bit of a preview on because uh we will have more on the site at a later date tell us a little bit about the night trait picture show yeah so miranda and i the night trait picture show takes place May 3rd through 5th in Rochester, New York at the George Eastman Museum. Uh, There's still tickets and stuff on sale if you're interested to get a festival pass. But, uh, I mean, we're both really interested because we're film archivists and we work with film, the medium. And projecting nitrate is extremely rare. There are only two places in the United States that are qualified to do this anymore, mm-hmm. which is the Eastman Museum in Rochester and then the Egyptian Theater in L.A. Mm-hmm. Which is just recently, two years ago, they got that certification. And now they do project nitrate during their uh, TCM Film Festival. Um, so, yeah. So Real quickly, can you... Sorry. Can, can you um, give a little, like explainer on what yeah, okay. why this <laughs> yes. is special <laughs> okay so nitrate was the material that they used to make film starting in the 19 you know 1890s, 1890s up beginning. to like 1950 and people found out that it's extremely dangerous uh it's extremely flammable mm-hmm. there have been historically like very big fires in theaters and film vaults Mm -hmm. um they it burns super hot and it doesn't go out you can't put it out right fire or water won't do anything for it you just let it burn and not just film but also like clothing material like pictures or prints yeah like photo negatives like um for x-rays i know some hospitals even burned um but yeah as lydia said um about till 1950 1951 is when they manufactured started making the safety stock which they um, saw it was just as you know clear of an image, um, good enough to replace nitrate, right. um, but not. They it. say some people uh, have like a real nostalgia for the films that were filmed on nitrate. Uh, apparently, there's a amount of silver in the picture emulsion, and they swear to God that it glows different. And, like, I just really want to go <laughs> and see and find out literally if it looks different. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and also, it's like some of cinemas, you know, everything made in the classical age of Hollywood was filmed on nitrate. A ton of the, like, all of the early silent films filmed on nitrate because that's what's available. So, like, as a part of cinema heritage, mm-hmm. it's hugely important and influential. So, this is a festival that 
celebrates that mm-hmm. because they have the ability and the expertise yes. to project it safely. Very skilled projectionist at the Eastman Museum. Uh, Wonderful. Um, you have to have like very special booths mm-hmm. and fireproofing in your theater. Um, so it's a kind of one of a kind or two of a one of a two kind, <laughs> I guess, yeah. the Egyptian. The, you know, very rare experience. Mm-hmm. And it is a weekend of just showing nitrate films, right? And not just feature films, but also one of the um, programs that they do is a shorts collection. So it's maybe about 45 minutes of various shorts. So ranging from documentaries. And what I really love are the animated features. So they had one year um, a cinema color uh, film, and it was about these elves who helped this... <laughs> Um, cobbler <laughs> makes so shoes cute. and he pays them in donuts and coffee like that's literally what their payment is and it's it's kind of bizarre but I absolutely loved it um, and some avant-garde stuff so mm-hmm. Oscar Fischer I had just learned about um, took a history of animation course because um, I've been to I think it'll be all of the Nitro Picture shows I've been to oh um, yeah so okay one of those is when I was a student at the Eastman Museum I volunteered um, but yeah so I got to see some of those and I mean there is a chance yes you could if you are in LA and you're mm-hmm. you're able to go to the Egyptian during the TCM film festival but you can see a feature film but some of these shorts right. I don't think you'd ever be able to see that's what I'm most excited for because one of the things about this festival they kind of have like a sneak preview they're like we're going to have one academy award winner for best picture and an Alfred Hitchcock film and it's like okay you could get a really good transfer blu-ray restoration dcp watch it in a theater that way but you're never gonna get a chance to see it like the people who saw it for the first time saw it unless you come to this festival and i'm excited for the shorts though because that'll be different things like Mm -hmm. again one year or last year i think it was they had a tinted and toned silent film about the u.s navy and it was fabulous just i mean i just seeing the um variations in the color and it probably was after you know years of you know storage or whatnot but it was just i would never see that otherwise Mm -hmm. because when you're doing restoration right you're gonna have that um tint and tone look uniform throughout um so yeah it's really like one of a kind and they highlight in the program like what condition the print is in uh that and what the condition is um and yes um which maybe doesn't sound that special but again you have to be very skilled projectionist to actually run it through the machine safely and ensure also not to damage the film and it is a, it's so they it's a, a festival film conservation right it's a, not necessarily about the film that you're seeing but you're seeing it on nitrate and here of its qualities right so i'm really excited about it. I'm also very excited about they offer tours of the museum, tours of like their equipment vaults of where they store the nitrate. There's like very special uh, precautions you have to take in storing such hazardous material. Um, so it's also like a learning opportunity too. Like you can go and learn how it's conserved, I think is one of the highlights of the festival. Mm-hmm. There's more they even have a how to make nitrate film workshop. So yeah, it's definitely a learning, like educational. Yeah. Miranda, you've uh, in, in the in the past you saw you know films such as like the Red Shoes on nitrate. I mean, what's mm-hmm. that experience like? I mean, for you, do you feel like you're like when you saw that there was something different about the print? So for me, um, the Red Shoes was uh, really exciting. Um, I know the I remember hearing the last two reels. They had tried to, you know show it before but there were some issues with the print and i guess they had it um fixed for the last year but i think for me it's individual films because i never sit down and think i'm gonna watch nitrate and look you know maybe the first time you see it you're gonna say i'm gonna try and look for these qualities but for me it's very subtle um the first year uh they showed casablanca Mm. which was a print from moma and it was just gorgeous and you know it's it's highly regarded you know within the classical film uh canon but 
there were details, shadow details and things I had never, and I've mm. seen that movie quite a few times, I had never picked up on. Um, so, so and you really think there is something special about yes. the visual quality of nitrate. And there was, uh, they also showed uh, Black Narcissus that year, ah. <laughs> <laughs> which I had never seen that film. And I had a I nightmare really, that, that night. I um, really hope they show another Archers. They don't yes. announce their schedule in advance, as far mm. as I can tell. It's the day of, yeah. Um, but I think for me, there was definitely a Buster Keaton Sherlock Jr. moment. Ah! <laughs> of, there was a shot of one of the rooms at the building where they live. And I remember thinking, I feel like I could get up and walk into that screen and I would be in this world. And it's not something I'm actively looking for. I'm like sitting there absorbed in this film and I'm like, you know, taken out of it. Like it's so real. And I've never had that experience before. Just um, like in a regular theater watching yeah, digital not, projection. No. Yeah. So. It's something really special, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can go to their website, uh, eastman.org slash NPS, mm-hmm. and find out more uh, about like what tours are left and how much the festival costs. But I'll be there yeah. <laughs> covering it in yeah. May. <laughs> Very cool. Um, well, we'll put some uh, information kind of linking to all that in the the in the description uh but it sounds cool I, i'm just thinking of if there was if there was one just off the, off the top of my head that i would love to see just a nitrate to see if it would really um enhance the quality and the colors and everything uh john ford's a, a quiet man would be something that i feel like would be a rich experience i would love to see a matter of life and death uh also large because it's got color and black and white or uh, Canterbury Tale, the Archer's film. That one is, is kind of, it, it takes place like in the countryside. It's very rich and green and lush. Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, we're, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a short break. We will be back, uh, you know, singing our, our, our best tune as we talk about Nashville and Heartworn Highways after this. Cinematariats, this is your co-host Lydia Creech with an important message during this break in the show. Cinematariat would like you to know that we definitely want your money. We still want to bring you our pure, unadulterated opinions on the world of cinema, but now we're getting into the Patreon game, baby. We've brought on a lot of new voices to contribute to the site, and we want to honor our responsibility to compensate all these smart people for their hard work. To help us out, head over to patreon.com slash cinematary to sign up at the $5 a month level. In exchange, our patrons will get an exclusive bonus episode every month, weekly shoutouts on each episode of the show, and the ability to dictate a movie for us to cover eventually. If money's tight, we get it. There are still a few things you can do that we would greatly appreciate. First, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That's free to help us reach more listeners. <laughs> Secondly, send us a tweet at Cinematary, or better yet, send an email to Zach at Cinematary.com. That's Zach, Z-A-C-H, to let us know your thoughts, and we will read them out and respond to them on future episodes. Finally, please share the show with friends and members of your family who you think would enjoy listening to and participating in our film discussions we put out every week. So, to recap review send us your thoughts through twitter and email share with your friends and family and sign up to be a patron we would truly appreciate it uh thanks for listening and now back to the show Part two of episode 242 of Cinematary. In this part, we will be 
continuing our Truth and Fiction in the South series with 1975's Nashville and 1976's Heartworn Highways. Uh, we're going to kick it off with Nashville, though. It's directed by Robert Altman from a script by Joan Tewksbury. Uh, the film stars Lily Tomlin, Ned Beatty, Ronnie Blakely, Keith Carradine, Scott Glenn, Shelley Duvall, Geraldine Chaplin, Michael Murphy, Karen Black, and Henry Gibson. Uh, host of others jeff goldblum, jeff goldblum is in there jeff you know <laughs> like jeff a, lot of, a lot of people in there uh the film follows the lives of numerous people in the tennessee capital who intersect in unpredictable ways delbert reese is a lawyer and political organizer who is having difficulties in his marriage to liena a gospel vocalist other performers heavily featured in this renowned ensemble production include country singers barbara jean and connie white who are rivals in the city's thriving music scene film was shot on location in Nashville in the summer of 1974, and all the musical scenes are live concert footage. The original script was written by Joan Tewksbury, who had collaborated with Altman on several of his films, including McCabe and Mrs. Miller and Thieves Like Us. Altman had been approached to work on a film set in Nashville, which he was not interested in. However, he became interested in the setting and sent Tewksbury to Nashville to observe the area and its citizenry. Tewksbury, Tewksbury's... Uh, Diary Diary of uh, her trip provided the basis for the film's script, with many observations making it into the finished film, such as the highway pileup. However, as with most Altman projects, most much of the dialogue was improvised with the script acting as a blueprint, dictating the actions of the characters in the plot. Many of the characters she created were based on actual country stars. Altman added several more characters, including the unseen presidential candidate, which added a political theme to the story. He also changed a suicide Tewksbury had written into a assassination Nashville's opening title sequence was designed by the film title designer Dan Perry who had recently enjoyed his big break with his work on The Exorcist under Altman's direction Perry based the film's unusual kitschy title sequence on low budget KTEL records television commercials and brought in uh, brought in Johnny Grant to provide the loud brash voiceover Perry later went on to design titles for a number of other major Hollywood pictures some small films such as Taxi Driver Star Wars and Raging Bull the role of Barbara Jean had not been filled when filming was about to commence, and Ronnie Blakely was in Nashville at the time and took the role at the, on the last minute, uh, having written several of the songs for the film already. The speeches given by candidate Hal Philip Walker, who has never seen, were written by actor-screenwriter Thomas Hale Phillips. Walker, the climactic assassination, the political theme, and various associated characters such as Haven Hamilton do not appear in the earliest versions of the script. Altman had enough footage to produce a four-hour film, and assistant director Alan Rudolph suggested he create an expanded version of Nashville to be shown in two parts, one called Nashville Red and the other Nashville Blue but the film ultimately remained intact. The part of Haven Hamilton was or Haven Ham- Hamilton was originally intended for actor Robert Duvall, who had previously worked with Altman and had expressed interest in being in the film. However, due to the low salary, Duvall dropped out and the part went to comedian Henry Gibson, known for his work on the television show Laughing. As Gibson knew nothing about country western music, he hired local performer David Peel, a native of Nashville then living in Santa Monica to coach him. Eventually, Peel was cast in the role of Haven's son Bud. During pre-production, Altman decided to ask the actors to write their own songs. 25-year-old Richard Baskin, who appears in the film as Frog, was hired to arrange and supervise the music. In the 1975 New York Times, they said on the film, Mr. Altman's folkloric films celebrate American individualism or mourn the loss of it. In Nashville, he focuses on the energy and fear, the fulfillment and vacuum of, of American life by subtly translating Nashville's lively musical sound into the deadly strummings of politicians. Roger Ebert in 1975 says, This is a film about America. It deals with our myths, our hungers, our ambitions, and our sense of self. It knows how we talk and how we behave, and it doesn't flatter us, but it does love us. And in 1975, Pauline Kael said, It's a pure emotional high, and you don't come down when the picture is over. So on that note, on Nashville, um, I'm going to put Miranda on the spot a little bit. I know that you uh, have done extensive research on Robert Altman. It seems like Nashville, and correct me if I'm wrong, is probably in in the top slot or at least near it um, when it comes to his films, correct? 
Yes, it is my favorite uh, Robert Altman film. Um, I will just let me give a brief background on why I like Altman so much. Um, I went through like this like self-imposed crisis of who is my favorite director at one <laughs> point because I felt like everyone had a favorite director and I hadn't found mine. You know, I like Billy Wilder, um, you know, Preston Sturge and so on. But then I watched The Player and just this idea, this ensemble cast and you're following all these different people and really just people watching the whole time while Altman does focus on things that he finds interesting. But I thought this is really smart and I can, it's holds up through multiple rewatches and I've seen Nashville at least I would say five or six times Mm -hmm. at least. Um, that doesn't count me falling asleep to it uh, as my comfort (laughs) movie. Um, but yeah, I, Nashville is by far my favorite Altman movie. Um, I mean, even just you trying to describe it, Zach, like give a plot summary. Yeah. That seems a little unfair yeah. to try to go. Please explain the plot of Nashville to me. Um, because it, 25 minutes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot. I mean, it's true. It's just there's intersecting stories happening over the course there's of like, like not one main character. They're, all of them are main characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. Lily Tomlin is incredible, so I really latched onto her storyline just because I love Lily. But uh, for yeah, the most part, it is just kind of ranging all over the place, and it seems like all of us have seen this movie before. This is the first time we're digging in, and so the first thing I kind of wanted to to uh, talk about is an uh, Ebert's review that I just read. He he talks about that this is a film about America. It's dealing with all of these um, you know things that we kind of associate with the American with American life with American culture, etc. Etc. And I feel like that's interesting in terms of contextualizing that in this series about the South, because for the most part, we have been kind of zeroing in on what these films mean about this section of the country. And here, this film seems to kind of uh, encompass the country at large. It's like uh, it's 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 speaking to a larger um, you know swath than than some of the other ones that we've been talking about. I mean, do you do you feel like there's something in that? Nashville that kind of transcends just being this, I guess, this Southern tale. I think what uh, this really reminds me of the project of the hillbilly documentary, like, okay, maybe the media country at large has this idea of what Southerners are and what the South is like. And then you have Nashville, which is like, because there are so many characters, because there are so many like different types of people. And not necessarily within Nashville. People are flying in from the airport to visit Nashville. Mm-hmm. So you have Triplett, you know, John Triplett visiting to Nashville. So he's an outsider. And of, like Marion, Tom, and the other one. Um, Bob? <laughs> trying, trying to find and, a um, character name. And, <laughs> oh, and Bill, Marion, Tom? Bill. <laughs> or Bill, Marion, Tom. Tom. So yeah. uh, anyway... So it's like this inner, the South is this like actually very varied and interesting place where a lot of different types of people are meeting and leading mm-hmm. different lives and not necessarily like country music is not right. country music in the South. It's just like one thing. Right. Because you have um, Mr. Green who lives in Nashville, but he's not involved in either country or poli- like mm-hmm. country music or, or politics. politics. He's he just, just lives there and his wife is sad dying. old dude at the hospital. Yeah. His his niece is coming from LA, <laughs> and it's also it's also kind of an interesting view of a city that um, has really grown into being much more. I feel like associated with a broader American uh, like people see Nashville as this kind of broader American city in the vein of like, you know, you can be like New York, Chicago, LA, Dallas, uh, Atlanta, Nashville. Like it's kind of risen to this pantheon of being, uh, kind of a catch all for its region, you know, especially like when it comes to Tennessee. And so I feel like this, this kind of does hit on that, but at the same time, Nashville in 2019 is very different from like the Nashville of the, of 1974 1975 when we're watching it right now because it's much there, there's in terms of the uh infrastructure just in terms of like 
you know, the more general term of infrastructure, but also the infrastructure of the of cultures and, uh, you know, gentrification happening in, in Nashville. It's become a much more multicultural, much more diverse uh, landscape than it probably was in 1975. Because when you describe it being all these people kind of coming to Nashville, that's much more people coming from other parts of the country. While I think that Nashville now has a much more, um, again, international flair. I mean, Nashville now is like the third location that Amazon was considering for like a big distribution mm-hmm. warehouse sort of thing. So mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, gentrification and like attracting huge outside interests. Yeah. I mean, even today, that's still a thing people are concerned about <laughs> <I'm> concerned <laughs> yeah it's it's just a it's a city that seems to have almost grown out of the the means that it kind of established for itself early on because even in the movie um it it has like this i feel like the it, it, it's expanding but it only expands so far in the expansion like like you know the line that it goes to still encompasses the country music scene the grand Ole opry and that kind of um and that industry still even though it is an industry and then we see the different facets because you see different levels of that industry as you go across the movie um it's still an industry but it feels much more to you know to steal a southern term it feels much more down home it feels much more personal uh than if if it was like the music industry in like los angeles or new york or something but at the same time what uh this portrait of the movie is is painting is that it's not it's it's just it's very much the same as you would see anywhere else but uh go ahead jim ridley i think writing for the nashville scene uh made the point that nashville the city in the 1970s was like hollywood in the 1940s like it was the place to go starting place mm-hmm. of like place to go to be seen places to go to like, be discovered right? yes yeah. so you have like all these you know like young hopeful people mm-hmm. were showing up in Nashville just like the Suling Gay or even um, L.A. Jill <laughs> is it Kenny the one um, oh with the, his... with the glasses and yeah. the violin case yeah, yeah. So. so like it's attracting a lot of these different people right. too. Yeah. And I think it, it, it seems like um, that's kind of the, the allure that Altman kind of felt because yeah, just being able to, to display all of these different, um, you know, crossing paths of people at, at different levels of the game uh, is kind of interesting. I feel like the conduit it seems like for trying to parse through this movie is the Geraldine Chaplin character as the BBC reporter who's just trying to like. I, I think the 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 perfect moment of hers is at the very end after uh, Barbara Jean has been shot and she's like running around. She's the reporter that we've been seeing the entire movie and she's like, "What's happening? What happened? What happened?" She's no idea. Um, but she, but at the same time, she seems to be filtering through all of the different levels that. That we're we're seeing in this uh, in in this world. I mean, what 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 do you make of the way uh, Altman is able to do his kind of Altmanness and and swerve through all of these different levels of the of the country music industry? I mean, I would agree with um, Opal's character, but I would also say Jeff Goldblum's character, this Easy Rider motorcycle guy. So Opal's talking; she's like this narrative Never voice, right? Never. <laughs> It's so true. Um, but he's the one riding around and taking people to different places. And like somehow he has access to all these different. He, and he's, he looks so weird. So I don't know how anyone lets him into <laughs> these things. Um, but yeah. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add on to that. I mean, I think Altman populates Nashville. Like Altman's an outsider to Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. And so, and he's also populating his film with some of these like outsider characters that are able to give that kind of like weird, not cynical, like amused. I think yeah. Altman as a person is very amused with Nashville, the city. Uh, and so you have these like Jeff Goldblum characters mm-hmm. and then Geraldine and like. The, the uh, political organizer guy, Michael. Michael Burby, uh, John Triple. John Triple. Yeah. Like, 
coming yeah. in and like trying to interact with the scene or understand it. Well, and I just don't think there's any like like desire to actually understand because John Triplett's character, as you know, Haven Hamilton's performing is like he has the whole galaxy on his back. Like very, I mean, asshole. he's pretty. He's pretty horrible. Um, so. But, like, no one character is, like, too cynical. Like, no one outsider character, to be more so, is, like, too cynical or whatever. He spreads it out over several. Yeah. So you're getting a pretty thorough exploration. And there are definitely some people you feel more sympathetic to, right, than others. I mean, Opal, I don't really care <laughs> that she's... She's so terrible. I mean, my favorite. You, <laughs> you missed the assassination, like... I, I'm not sorry. Uh, <laughs> is she really from the BBC? Also, <laughs> she's just faking. If she it. was, she would not have been upset about that car accident. I mean, people. <laughs> what? Bill, Mary, and Tom. The one guy from Bill, Mary, Tom is buying like this a weird turtle like footstool. Like people are selling popsicles. Like it's. I don't think it's that horrible, horrible. of an accident. So she's not from the BBC. No. <laughs> I've decided. <laughs> um, kind of going b- back to the point. Uh, I made at the beginning. Let's let's. I want to kind of talk about Nashville as a movie of the South because it's a it's an interesting part uh, of of the of the South to kind of examine. Uh, one of the, the points I made before we started the series is that I don't necessarily cl- classify Texas as the South. Texas is kind of its own beast um, that uh, that you know excludes it from being what you would typically refer to as the southern part of the United States. And I think so far in the series we've you know looked at uh rural deep south uh alabama mississippi we've looked at the we've looked at the appalachia region we've looked at uh kind of georgia and the bible belt last week and so nashville especially in terms of like representing tennessee we kind of touched on this i mean what what do you make of it as a as a representation um like does it does this do a job of representing what the south is in this area or again is i guess is it is it so influenced by this you know national industry that's that's kind of uh running the place that um it it becomes less a representation of the of of this area this area of the country and more of its own kind of enigmatic texas-like um version like because to me it kind of feels that way it feels like nashville is a little bit larger than the place the the areas and the and what we've been talking about so far in terms of these these portions of the region i mean any like major urban city in the south just by definition is going to attract like a more diverse group of people and have like way more job opportunities and industry and like get away a little bit from the uh supposed homogeneity of the south like you've said we've explored how appalachia is not totally one thing uh and get a little bit away from bible belt like morality or, or whatever and also altman as an outsider and not a nashvillian not a southern southerner Maybe he's not able to capture that, but I do. One of my favorite sequences in Nashville is the sequences in the church on mm-hmm. Sunday, the, the Sunday morning like church montage sequence. And so, I, I mean, I do think he is getting at things that are important to the South. And I mean, I think it's treated with respect. There's no none of that cynicism that people might automatically think about. And I mean, it's treated quite well. And I think. Mm-hmm. Taps. At least I'm not from the south, so, <laughs> so I can't. Don't listen to me. Actually, um, I think it taps into that based on. So, but like Altman's project, like you said, that like it's bigger than this. Like he is it, it doing is. this like microcosm of America mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, what? Well, because I think that 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 this kind of discussion leads into the double feature, the documentary connection to this movie, which is 1976's Heart Worn Highways, which feels much more uh, investigating the the actual South 
portion of of the country music because these while these are names of of musicians who today we would think of as as well-known figures of country music um at this point when they were making the documentary they were very much on the fringe of really breaking out and so the documentary it's directed by james uh, salapsky and it features guy clark towns van sant uh, Stephen earl david allen coe rodney crowell uh, gamble rogers steve young and the charlie daniels band and like i said this is these there that's all of these guys who are on the fringe of becoming much larger um it, it was originally shot in austin and in nashville um yeah. I, I know it's it's it screws up my uh, my whole texas thing but uh places that aren't the south question mark <laughs> if if uh if you want a, a, a even larger enigma than texas to the south see austin to just texas at large um that's a whole we can just like go down like it's like a russian doll almost um I, I like this review of uh, by Pauline Kael in 1976 on the film. She, she says, Salapsky is an attentive and scrupulous cinematographer. He loves his subjects and the imagery is so warm and finely detailed that I had a hard time believing I was seeing a blow up from 16 millimeter. But in this film, he isn't yet a director, not fully anyway. It's fairly clear that during the underfinance shooting, he caught whatever he could. He couldn't plan a structure and he probably wasn't looking for anything as vulgar as a hook or an angle, which is too bad because although there is very little in the film that isn't friendly or funny or really soul stirring it has no unifying energy watching it is like being carted off to a good party by people who told you where they were taking you so casually that uh so casually that the names of the people who were going to be there didn't sink in um which I think perfectly encapsulates how I felt about this movie. I liked I liked all of the music. It was really nice to like listen to, but it's not really like a movie. Um, There's we no talk- thesis at all. There is there is absolutely no. It's an hour and a half of just like kind of bouncing around to these different musicians. I think that, and, and I've seen a lot of people point this out, um, and we talked about it before recording. The Towns Van Zant. Uh, portion is probably the liveliest because he is just a personality and you visit him at like his home with his girlfriend uh, I don't know rabbits. I guess yeah. yeah and it's just his dog it's him and his dogs and his girlfriends and, and just vi- various vermin running around and vermin. he's like <laughs> he's, and he's just uh, he's just like uh, narrate. He's just, he's just narrating the whole he thing. He fit in really well in the cast of Nashville. He would absolutely. He's drinking. He's just like drinking beer as he does it, and it's just it's 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 really it's it's easily the most fun portion. You also have like this wonderful moment where he's uh, where he's where he's uh, playing, and and it, you really see that he does have like this gift in terms of songwriting and, and performance. But what did you all make of of Heartworn Highways? Is more of a uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, actual description of some of the uh, the musicians that were kind of depicted, it seems like, in, in the narrative Nashville. I mean, I guess what I was connecting to most from Heartworn Highways to Nashville is the emphasis, uh, I guess, on performance, because you do get like long sequences of the musicians in Heartworn Highways just performing their whole right. song. Um, <laughs> there's even a part that's like, edited like an MTV music I don't know fucking <laughs> yeah. weird it's just like a second but uh, you hear there's two portions like that <laughs> uh, but you hear the there... musicians like perform their whole songs and you like get to learn a it's little bit about, about Texas too uh, I'm pretty sure it's about <laughs> Texas yeah <laughs> like you get to learn about a little bit about them like that and that's how you get to learn about the characters in Nashville mm-hmm. um, it I was mean... a little bit hard to make connections honestly and I thought, yeah, so, and I thought, um, so at the beginning they have the musician performing in the recording studio, and even that, it seemed like much more of a communal atmosphere than what, how music functions in Nashville. I mean, the first scene in Nashville is Hamilton, like... Enclosed in this box by himself, and just so, like, paranoid about everyone else around him versus in this film, it's, you know, very much, here's how I want this to be played, and... It's very collaborative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so that was nice, and I enjoyed that a lot. And then we meet um, who we just talked about. Um, what was his name? What was his name? Seth? With the um, dogs and the Towns Van Sants. Van Sants. Towns Van Sants. Him, and then the blacksmith. Who I loved this sequence. I loved it. I thought that's what I was. We were going to get more of, and I was like absolutely on board. 
Um, um, the blacksmith's like this elderly uh, African American gentleman. Is just like talking, like giving life advice and talking about how to shoe a horse and like and I mean like you don't you want to be kind. Um, I don't know. Hearing like a side of. Just like giving like Southern wisdom. <laughs> I, I, guess. I guess. I mean, I was fascinated. I was like, you can talk about, you know. Anything what? all day. <laughs> um, and I thought that was very sweet. And even afterwards. And then they're in that um, the home. And was it him who we had um, the name, his name with the bunnies or the chickens? Sans- I think it was the same. Zach. That guy. Towns Van Zandt. Towns Van Zandt. Van Zandt. I'll just say that in my sleep tonight. How, how do you, how do you, I mean, he has the most unique name out of everybody in this thing. Town, okay, I'm writing it down. <laughs> um, there are so many people. Anyway, so, and I love when he, I think it was him who played the song and the blacksmith starts crying and like this idea, of, it really has it's just a lot of emotion to it and it's something that people come together and listen to and mm-hmm. they're relating their experiences. I don't know, I felt like I was like cozying up in a fire next to these people and, you know, just non-judgmental mm-hmm. um and i think there's a part in the bar where they're talking about the differences between earlier country music and later country music like so country music in the 30s and 40s um was not as snobbish as it seems what, yeah now. the character says um and i think he's referring specifically to like nashville yes um like very produced uh kind of clean cut kind it, of yeah i don't know rehearsed I, I don't know um so i thought that was interesting um, and that seems like, at least in Nashville, like this insider versus outsider thing. Uh-huh. Like we're this higher tier of country mm-hmm. music stars. Um, so I really like that. But then it was just, the songs were nice, but it kind of... <laughs> and then it got really shaggy. Like, yeah. I don't know where we're going after this. It, it, it would just kind of devolve into like... Like you said, the, the, yeah, per, well, performances or like recording sessions. And like you said, like Towns Van Sant sitting there and just kind of messing around and talking and, and the blacksmith talking and just kind of rambling that at least had something that, that felt like it was informing you about these people and this moment. Like those were th- that was that was a fantastic. But then you I just guess. have you had like some people who were just like in the recording studio working through the song. And I don't know, to me, that just didn't really. That wasn't as gripping. It was just kind of like, okay, and because it, it didn't really seem like it was... It's just like <laughs> watching jam sessions. <laughs> and it was fun. I had just recently watched the IFC uh, Documentary Now episode with John Mulaney, where it was making fun of the Stephen Sondheim documentary where he's uh, doing the uh, the musical. And it just felt like that, where oh it was like God. this over-the-top... <laughs> you know, recording session that just went on for way too long and people were being rude. Um, no, the, I, I, want, I want to go, go back to the, uh, Lydia, the point you, you made about the, there's, there's two kind of edited concert sequences. Yeah. I don't remember who the musician was for the first one, but it feels kind of like a car commercial because like he's singing I and you have, it. and you I had like the, the, you have like the cars that are just being like edited uh, into a montage really quickly. Like super quick editing. Yeah. And then the second one is the Charlie Daniels band at the end. And it's like him and it kind of uh, meshes into like these, um, kind of poetic highway shots of people oh, yeah. just of just like kind of, of drive- driving <laughs> and like that was, showing I guess. those were the other those were the other moments i really liked like because i think that whenever i think of like especially you know growing up in chattanooga like the the drive between chattanooga and nashville has like these mountains and these brit you see these random bridges and places and it's just like you see this uh this kind of uh hidden you know communities that are on the road and and you and also just on the highway you have this kind of community and i like those moments really spoke to me as, as like he's singing and you have like just driving at night with the car lights um like those like those felt like it was speaking much more to um where they were trying to go and trying to break from or were kind of nostalgic for in terms of their career than just them sitting around trying to work through a song in the recording studio. I guess also that recalled totally different affect, but recalled a little bit of the footage from Did You Wonder Who Fired the Gun? Of like, uh, just back roads driving, seeing the landscape. But much more interesting. Oh, no, I'm it, it, totally different <laughs> emotional impact. <laughs> But just uh, like seeing the landscape of the South, I guess. Very poetic. 
Yeah, and it didn't have Batman voice in the background. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, even though that you have those moments, it's still a movie that... I agree with Pauline Kale. It does not have, it just, it just doesn't, it, there's moments and, and she's, she says too, like you can see that he is, is like figuring out what, what it means to be a director, but like you do, you like, I don't know for, I could not stand these, the conversations like in the diner between the, the one guy who has <laughs> no enunciation ever in his speech. I had to put the subtitles on. <laughs> and this other older man, and they're just sitting there kind of rattling off stuff. I think it's the part you were discussing where it's like about the old country compared to the new country. Uh-huh. See, I but, it's just, <laughs> but it's just, but it's just like, you have the one guy talking about the, the old country versus new country. And then you have this guy who's just like, just completely like muddying every word that I can't understand what he's talking about. But at the same time, I know those people. <laughs> like, I will say... With the subtitles, sometimes even the subtitles were like inaudible, but we don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I guess what that's about is like you know, kind of old versus new country, but also authentic country, mm, okay. whatever the fuck that means. Because <laughs> right. uh, I guess sort of the thesis doesn't really exist in the film, but if you look it up, they're like it's a documentary about the outlaw country people, people who are like moving away from. I guess like Nashville contemporary, very produced, very like elaborate, like has strings. Like mm-hmm. Hamilton's character in Nashville, like his version of country right. music is just like a guitar and then singing about maybe doing drugs. I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's a tension there too that I think I, I think Heartworms Highways is trying to capture, but it's. It's, I guess, the first feature film. Yeah. It, like, doesn't quite no. get there. But I, 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 I don't, don't you think kind of this, like, this this battle between uh, what somebody views as, like, the correct form, like, this is the correct form of country versus the new form of country is kind of indicative of just the South in general, like, on a broader scale, kind of going back to what we were t- talking about with Nashville. Like, that's, that's kind of the broad battle that... I think really is the crux of what we're talking about in this overarching series, which is you kind of are constantly fighting this, what people view the South as, as like this kind of candy coated nostalgic storybook, but also, but then you, on the other side, you have, it's battling against what the South is actually like in, in the, you know, in reality, um, you know, just, uh, just thinking more on a personal level here in Georgia, it's a state that's con- that's kind of right now at a, at a friction because it does have a lot of this. People expect it to kind of follow the the same path that it's done for you know countless years up to this point. That the industries are, are very you know they want to stick to uh, farming and agriculture and a lot of the uh, industry jobs that were still here. But at the same time, you also have this burgeoning film industry. You have uh, international business coming in. You have uh, people, you know, kind of developing this area for, for larger things. And so it's becoming a much more multicultural um, and much more educated uh, state in, in swaths. But at the same time, you also have this kind of more nostalgic, more this is how this is uh, this is what the uh, the right way to, to be, you know, a southern state is. And it just to me, that kind of speaks to the 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 battle that's raging uh, currently and kind of the again, the thesis of this series. But am, am I just is that completely crazy or is that something that seems to make sense? No, I, sorry. No, no, absolutely. No, you I think you hit it right on the nose. I mean, within after in the opening minutes of Nashville, right, like Haven Hamilton, you know, stops his recording because the pianist Frog can't seem to play the tune right. And he leaves. He's like, you need to get your hair cut. You don't belong in Nashville. And so here's Haven Hamilton, this, you know, kind of Roy A. Cuff. Uh-huh. Um, old style. Just old style. Like very, very nostalgic. Yes. And jingoistic. And Richard Baskin, who supervised the music for this entire, for the entire film, of, you know, in Nashville, um, has this, you know, his cowboy hat, but it's really curly hair, like it goes down to his shoulders. I mean, not. I know. mean, there's a tension between the old and the and new, new and right. like whatever progress looks like or just change. <laughs> I yeah. guess something different. Or, yeah. And then resisting it. Yeah. No, it's it just, 
I think that was the thing that interested me most most about this series is to take this very storybook nostalgic view. And we talked about it a lot in the first episode with To Kill a Mockingbird because that is such a picturesque uh, view. And so it's interesting. And I think that's what makes Nashville so interesting is that it's working on it's working on like three levels. It, it kind of captures some of that. You have Haven Hamilton. You have the kind of old guard. But then you also kind of have the middle transition people who seem, you know, you have, I think to an extent, like Barbara Jean's character and like feel, feels like kind of a transition. You know, she's 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 kind of one of the new faces, but it also feels very uh, akin to what the, you know, what the old guards version of country music is. But then you also have have some of these groups that you come across just in passing throughout the uh, throughout the film that seem much more like their uh, contemporaries of you know Steve Young and Charlie Daniels Band and David Allen Coe and these guys that you see in in Heartworn Highways like breaking away yeah so I think that's I think that's what kind of makes the, the Nashville interesting because it's straddling the line of these three different things and I guess that's what makes Altman so um, great as a director because he just has this knack of being able to straddle all three lines and give each of them like I feel like he's not condemning one you know yeah I think he's like he's he's giving each of them an agency he's giving each of them a platform to kind of uh show what you know what he's he's exploring all three of them at the same time I mean and I think that's interesting I feel like if you're we're talking about these three levels of performers I feel like the middle transition would be Probably Barbara Jean and Connie White, right? Like, um, I I know a little bit about country music, but I feel, from the little that I know, I feel like the 30s, 40s, and 50s, I think primarily of male singers, right? Mm -hmm. And in this middle transition, for what I see, would be Barbara Jean and Connie White, and it's these female performers. Um, And... Yeah, and in real life, the Loretta Lynns, the Dolly Partons, people like that. Yeah, like I I view like Dolly Parton, Uh Tammy Wynette, um, Loretta Lynn, of course. Um, And I just find that interesting as this is this is this kind of tension. It's these women who are at the front. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that if we can go back to Heartworn Highways really quick, I found that interesting. There were no women. There was one woman who sang a song in Heartworn Highways, but she was just on briefly. But otherwise, it's all males. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think that especially uh, Dolly Parton as as kind of bridging this gap because you know you'll, she'll, she she's known for her hits that feel much more traditional you know her her duets with Kenny Rogers things like that where it's it feels much more akin to the um, to the nostalgia age of the Grand Ole Opry but then you have something like nine to five which is much more upbeat much more poppy feels much more modern um, and a lot of she has a lot of other uh, I think that Jolene is like a, a song that straddles both of those lines it kind of has that old country you know songwriting and diction to it but at the same time it has a very it feels much more up-tempo and modern yeah now we're just digging into country music i know this is what you guys wanted to do country music versus pop music yeah well like that's where nashville as a city and industry feels like it's going anyway well and also you know they say you know at the it's the grand old opry it's the new one right they moved out of the their, ah. their previous old home. So, I mean, if, I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with it, but I find that I think it just opened when they started shooting this. So, Lydia, correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first Altman movie that we've like focused on for an episode. Oh my, oh my god, I think you're right. Oh my goodness, what a crime! <laughs> no, I mean Nashville's great. I'm glad yeah. we're doing it. Yes. So, as as kind of the the Altman stand here. Uh, uh, I guess for those who maybe haven't explored them much, Miranda, what what are some of the other ones that you kind of have an affinity for that we should that, that listeners should look for? I so I like I said I really like this ensemble cast films, and if you like the style of Nashville, I recommend The Player, mm-hmm. um, Shortcuts. That was a difficult for me one for me to get through. Um, Shortcuts is even bigger than Nashville. Yes. It's like forty eight main characters. Yeah, and that was done in like ninety three. Um, so maybe so there's some newer like um, Shelley Duvall's also in it I think um, Tim Robbins is in it uh, I'm blanking on all the people more modern actors and actresses in the player um, I'm sorry in shortcuts 
Um, okay, I was like, the, I was like, there's a lot of people on the yeah, players. So it's like, it's like, who's in Nashville? It's a lot of just people. a lot of people. <laughs> um, but I also really, and this is the one I usually uh, use to introduce people to Altman is the Long Goodbye mm. because it's in that film noir vein. But also, it's, it's Elliot nice. Gould <laughs> as Philip Marlowe who fell asleep in the 40s and woke up in the 1970s. And it's just like there's a lot of pot and he doesn't know what to do. do and <laughs> it's just fabulous. Um, so that's usually the one. I recommend to people if they haven't seen Altman and then kind of ease them into the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Nashville's kind of, a difficult starting place. Yeah. So big. I mean, the, I had seen, so Nashville wasn't my first Altman film. And I think this was like a Christmas gift my mom got me. And I was so excited to wait until I got it. And I watched it and I was like, yeah, that was good. And then I went to bed and I watched it again. I was like, this is really good. And it wasn't until like the third or fourth watch uh-huh. where it's just so much information. So I don't know if... Um, it's a good, Start at least for please. introduction. Um, so, but I recommend the long goodbye. Um, but if you did like, if you do like this ensemble cast, I would recommend the player because it's a little more of a narrative. Like there's a plot to this that you could say, mm-hmm. this is what it's about, and you have a main character. Uh, yeah, I need to. I watched the player in film school, um, or well, while we we're in school and it kind of blew over my head. So it's probably similar to how you received Nashville the first time. So I need to go back and rewatch it. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, all of Altman's films are worth rewatching. Absolutely. They're very rewarding on multiple viewings. Yeah. See that. And yeah. So, um, well, I believe that will wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary, on uh, Twitter at handle at cinematary, and on Letterbox at letterbox.com where we put all of the slash cinematary where we put all of the episode or the movies that we talked about in this episode. And then, of course, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematary. If you would like to support the show, that is, uh, uh, I know, Lydia, there, that is uh, one way that you can do that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and shout out our patrons while I'm looking at it so that Lydia will uh, stop yelling at me. <laughs> stop sending you messages. <laughs> yeah, and Andrew will stop, like, glaring at me. Thank you to our patrons, uh, Cam, Chad Newsom, Christopher Metcalf, Maggie, uh, Matthew Lingo, Ron Hayes, Tyler Chandler, and Whitney Rio Ross. Uh, we appreciate your your uh, you know helping of, of our site to, uh, to you know, to compensate our writers i know that so far um we've done two reviews where we've given you know your money to the writers we were able to pay people and and i know uh diana who wrote about pet cemetery uh this week was uh really she's she's like i've never been paid for my words and it's like it meant a lot to her that we uh, it's not like a lot of money but it just meant uh, it meant a lot giving just a little bit of money to say thank you for taking the time to to do this and so i hope that the people who are patrons can take that as you know we uh, their their patronage is being appreciated um we'll be continuing this series though next week uh we have harlan county usa the 1976 film along with norma ray the 1979 film and uh if you are not on patreon we're gonna have we have some cool interviews sally rubin who is the co-director of hillbilly which we talked about a couple weeks ago we have that on patreon.com now we also have a interview with cody shelley who is the uh foundation manager at the flannery O'Connor House and Foundation in Savannah. She talked about Wise Blood and Flannery's uh, mixed feelings and, and tough feelings toward faith. And so I feel like if you listen, it felt like if you listened to last week's episode, especially the discussion around Wise Blood and Marjo, um, it's a nice little. Uh, you know, additional, you know, thing to kind of think about when, when in t- terms of looking back at wise blood and, and faith in the South. So I would recommend listening to that and, you know, helping, helping support the site. Um, but until then, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>